Good morning. We are in the middle of a, a series of beliefs that drive Christians crazy. We're using Cloud and Townsend's book, The Twelve Christian Beliefs That Can Drive You Crazy, as a springboard. We're not just telling you what the book says, but just we're going topic by topic. And uh, we're talking about beliefs that seem to be Christian, but when you look at them deeply, are not, uh, or have parts of truth, but not the complete truth. Some Christians dealing with depression are asked, uh, when do you expect to stop being depressed? Uh, perhaps a deadline would be helpful. You know, like giving yourself another three weeks to stop being depressed. Um, is it a time that you've got on with your life? get past this introspection type of stuff. At the heart of these questions is this crazy maker, I will one day be finished with recovery. When the book uses the word recovery, it doesn't use it in its strict addiction sense. It's another word for the spiritual growth process, the process by which we become like Christ. Many Christians assume they can reach a level of maturity and get past difficulties if they keep on turning the spiritual crank. Um, enough Bible study and prayer and worship and evangelism, no apparent gross sin, and you have a classic together Christian. The only problem is that spiritual disciplines like Bible study and prayer, as helpful and essential as they are, can become ends in themselves, and that becomes a problem. When spiritual disciplines become ends in themselves rather than means to an end. Well, the spiritual disciplines aren't the end, and when we're moving towards something, it's helpful to have the end in sight. Let me put a question at you. Um, when we think about spiritual growth, what is the end game? What are some of the things we're moving towards when we think about spiritual growth? I was in China. We learned that when you're in an educational enterprise, like teaching at school, we were in China. I was in from 2001 to 2002. That's my only stint in education every day. And, uh, not an easy stint. So I had middle school students, and we were tasked to take the middle school students through the entirety of the Old Testament. So today we're going to talk about King Jehoshaphat. And then there was the material that had worksheets. So day after, so I had to try to think about how to make some of this stuff come alive, what I learned, and we ended up changing the curriculum there. Uh, we did an audit of the curriculum. I said, this has really got to go. And myself, and so what we ended up doing is this. When you're doing a curriculum review, you start with the end in sight. So we have to ask the question, what are the attitudes, skills, knowledges that we want these students to be able to come away with? And so we then spent a lot of time clarifying that. At that point, when we knew what the end game was, then we came back. And we considered, okay, what curriculum and what kind of testing can allow us to make sure that the students are making progress toward the end game? And then we ended up choosing different curriculum and choosing different types of 
um, tests and stuff like that, and then I had to leave before I got to enjoy that. So, or, um, what did happen when I came back, we ended up taking that question on as a church. I, I recruited a group and said, okay, let's say we are thinking about individuals who come to Hope and attend more or less regularly. What do we want them to come away with? This is an educational enterprise, and then, therefore, we need to have the end in view, and then we can figure out what types of things to introduce that will allow people to move towards that. And so then we did that. It took us a while. What is it that we want to move towards? What is the end game? We came up with A, C, T, S, Acts, Authenticity, Confidence, transformation, and strength. We're doing a move toward the end, authenticity, confidence, transformation, and strength. And the things that we do relative to spiritual disciplines, prayer, all those things, critical, important, move us towards those goals. Let's take them one at a time. Authenticity. There's a sheet in your worship folder that uh, you can follow along, has some points that will allow you to review if you'd care to afterwards. Authenticity. This is what Jesus said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy comes from two words that are combined in Greek. One word meaning under. The other word meaning judgment. So when you think of hypocrisy, it's Judgment, somebody saying, no, 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 no. But it's not judgment that you can see. It's judgment under the surface. So there's inside, somebody is going, no, 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 no. But outside, they're going, you're wonderful. You're right on target. Inside, they're going, no, 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 no. But outside, that's hypocrisy. Concealed judgment. Um a smiling face concealing a judgmental heart. Jesus said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. When you think of a group that Jesus clashed with that never were able to really grasp what Jesus was about. He, they butted heads for the entirety of Jesus' ministry. And then you might ask, well, what was it? You know, what was their problem? I mean, certainly Jesus couldn't have been a better teacher. You know, when you think of education, sometimes education is about the teacher. And we can't say, though, that the problem with these individuals was that their teacher was defective. Jesus was spot on. He couldn't have been a better teacher. Interestingly, he had no problem with demoniacs, but Jesus couldn't crack a Pharisee. So there's something about that that is especially resistant. And when Jesus puts his finger on the nature of the resistance that disallowed the Pharisees to get what Jesus was saying, he puts it in a crisp, single word, hypocrisy. And as relates to Jesus then, it is public spiritual enemy number one, concealed judgment. It's something that both we deal with internally, and we get swept up in. Hypocrisy is a problem because God 
does not judge by how things look. That's the thing about hypocrisy. It is a good, the veneer expresses what you want people to see, but inside, what is it? No, 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 but you wouldn't want people to see that. So what you want them to see is, oh, <laughs> and um, the problem with hypocrisy is that God doesn't judge the, <laughs> he judges the, no, 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 the inside thing. Um, it says the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We can't see one another's heart. God does. It says the word of God is living and active. It says um, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Once in a while, these things we've talked about. You say, Mike, we've talked about these before. We have. And what we'll do from time to time, this is probably something we're going to revisit on an annual basis. Why? Because we need to be clear about the end game. If we're unclear about the end, spiritual disciplines become ends in themselves and we'll find ourselves in trouble. So that's why we want to be crystal clear. And, and it begins with authenticity. God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Thoughts in the context are opinions about God. It's not just thoughts about the football game today or thoughts about dinner or thoughts about work. When it, when it talks about thoughts in this context, it's thoughts about God. And not thoughts that we necessarily say out loud, thoughts that we keep to ourselves. When Jesus was healing a paralytic, they let him down in through the roof of the room. And they put her there, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And down in a part of the room that couldn't be heard, the Pharisees were going, frism, 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 frism. And they weren't saying it loud. They were, and Jesus, it says, knowing their thoughts. He couldn't hear. But he, that's what Jesus does. That's what God does. He judges the thoughts and attitudes. Now, they were saying things about him that weren't, again, auditory, but it was their opinion about him. And this is what God picks up. He judges the thoughts of the, heart, opinions about God that we might keep to ourselves. All of us struggle with this. You know, we have received a picture of God that might be more or less accurate, but that picture of God that we keep in our brain, the mental representation of God that we harbor, that's what God will judge, first and foremost. You say, but Mike, we, and God is a just judge. And so what we want to do then, I don't say this to frighten you, only to point out that God judges thoughts and attitudes. That's why we are going to talk and we'll continue to talk about God's commitments. We'll talk about the character of God because why you do what you do, what you think of him, that is what he is going to look at. Remember what the story of the Jesus told the story about servants that he gave talents to. And 
There's one servant that leveraged his talents and he got more. There's another servant that did the same. And then there was one servant who said this in his thoughts. You're a hard man. That's what he was thinking. Okay, he gave me a talent. But what he's thinking is he's given this talent. Mm -mm, You're a hard man. Reaping what you don't sow, taking out what you don't put in. Now, that was his thought. And his attitude was fear. I don't want to use what you've given me. So he was afraid. So what he ended up doing, he ended up putting this talent in a piece of cloth and burying it. So you have the thought, the attitude, and the action. The thought. You're a hard man. Taking out what you don't put in, reaping what you don't sow. The attitude. I'm afraid of you. The action. He buried the talent. So when Jesus tells the story, which thing does the master point out? You put it in the ground. No, 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 no. You were afraid of me. No, he doesn't say any of that. You know what he says to him? You believe, did you, that I'm a hard man? Taking out what I don't put in, reaping what I don't sow? Really? And then he ended up taking the talent away from him. And what I want to point out is he judged the thought. Why is hypocrisy a problem? Because God judges the things that we are trying to push down. He judges not the thing on the surface, but the thing underneath. And that's why hypocrisy is a problem. Attitudes are responses to God's will based on thoughts. Talk about the Pharisees. Relative to the actions, um, the spiritual disciplines, we've talked about this. They, uh, Bible knowledge, they, by the time they got to where they are, they memorized the entirety of the Old Testament. The entirety of it. They memorized. Not only had they memorized the entirety of the Old Testament, the 39 books, they had memorized what people said about the first 39 books. They had sat at the feet of another Pharisee for anywhere from 15 to 20 years. They immersed themselves. So Bible knowledge, prayer, six times a day. It doesn't matter where they were. There were set times that they were walking hither and yon. They would stop and they would pray. They were dutiful about it. Fasting, the Bible indicates to the Jews in the Old Testament, you have to fast one day a year at Yom Kippur. They fasted not one day a year, not two, not 50 days a year. They fasted 100 days a year. That's 100 times better. They fasted twice a week. Uh, Giving a tenth of everything they had down to the little mustard seeds in their garden. They didn't just give 10% of the finances. They, They had a mustard seed, very little seeds. And they would, you know, just one here for God and then two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then scrupulous. That's what they were like. Evangelism, they would travel over land and sea to win a a single convert. Those things that, and again, I'm not blowing these, these things are essential. But it's not what we do, but why we do it that God judges. Here's what he said. You're like whitewashed tombs. 
which look beautiful on the inside, on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. The problem with hypocrisy is it buries the thing that God judges. Okay. Second problem with hypocrisy is that it's virulent and it kills healthy spirituality. Um, be on your guard, Jesus said, against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. When Jesus targets public enemy number one relative to spirituality, now you know what that is. Hypocrisy. Concealed judgment. Saying right things to God, not real things. God already knows what's on your heart. Why not tell him? You know what, God, here's the deal. I'm afraid of you. I remember I did that when I was in college. I said, you know what, God, the deal is, I'm really uncomfortable. There's this verse that says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? That you're everywhere I am. I don't like that. I, I think you're always looking at me. I don't, I don't find comfort in that. I don't like you very much. But that's what I was thinking, but I got into a place where I was just saying, and you know what, I, I, but I ended up saying to him at that point, you know what, God, I really would like to. I remember doing this. This is one of the first really honest prayers I prayed. I said, I really would like to get to a place where I read Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence, and it would warm me inside. I really would like to get to that place, and gradually, slowly, over time, mm-hmm, I really like the fact that he's with me. And I've learned to be honest with him. I don't have to hide stuff from him. That took a long time. It took a long time. I had to think about what he's like. You remain here. And you say, Mike, I'm not there. I get that. I get that. But that's the direction that we're going. We're going to go there together. It doesn't happen overnight. We're going to keep on talking about what he's like. Why? We should just talk about the... No, no. Because it's why we do what we do. And it's our thoughts about him that are primary. So we'll continue to move there together, okay? But that's why we'll continue to talk about God's commitments. Because it's really what he judges. It's the basis of everything. Our thoughts about him inform our attitudes about him. Our attitudes about him inform our actions about him, right? So if we want to deal with the root of the issue, what do we deal with? Thoughts, attitudes, or actions? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do. So if you want to pray to God, if you want to ask God to do something, I do this every morning when I'm writing about him. or And I say, God, and I write this out just about every day. And I can always write it out, and it's kind of rote, but I mean it every time I write it. I really do. It's one of those things. I just this is what I write. And if you see my journal, it's at the top. God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. I can't know you until you tell me what you're like. I might imagine things about you, but I'm only imagining. But if you are self-proclaiming, I can ask that and you'll do it. And I and so if you're looking for a prayer to pray, either first thing in the morning, last thing at night, along with a number of prayers that you pray, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. And you know what the deal is? This is true. As you get to know him truly, 
your heart will become warmer. That's the truth. You're saying, Mike, I can't see that. Where I am now, I don't, yeah, I don't want to think about him. Over time, he really is good. Really. Um, authenticity is job one. See what's real and say what's real. Um, in the book, it talked about a guy who um, went to, into therapy for depression. Um, he started to get better a little bit, and he started to develop relationships with people. He welcomed the change his heart was making. Then a good friend of his was killed in an auto accident, suddenly, violently, devastated. This guy raged against God for permitting that to happen. He just felt very intense feelings, and he couldn't stuff them down. And the things he told God were very intense. They frightened him. He didn't know how God was going to respond. You know, you you understand that, right? If we don't say, oh, God, thank you for the day, <laughs> if we tell him what we really think, you know, then you've got to get the lightning rod up there. You know, <laughs> you know it's going to hit, get hit. If you don't have the lightning, you could get fried. Uh, but this guy did. Um, he told the truth, and he went to a Christian therapist, and he asked this one therapist. Now, again, this was just a particular therapist. Not every Christian therapist will tell you this. Uh, told about the intense furious feelings and she told him that perhaps it was a sign and it's kind of funny but it's not that he wasn't saved you know what this guy said to me it's an indication you are saved you feel safe enough to confess to God what you're actually thinking hmm Know God well enough, safe enough to tell him what you're actually thinking and you care enough about the relationship to tell him. How about that? Secure enough. And again, you say, Mike, I'm not there. I get that. That's the direction we're heading. We feel secure enough to God to say what we're actually thinking and we care enough about the relationship to actually tell him. Um, therapist reaction is shared by many Christians who, if you aren't on top of it, you're backsliding and going down the tubes, and you better watch it, as if you bury an emotion or a thought, and then God says, oh, I only saw, ah, I didn't see that, no, 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 he, he sees the underneath thing. I, it's very challenging to be self-aware. I don't think we're naturally, you know, in fact, some of us do. We're so busy throwing penalty flags at our thoughts and feelings that we can't even accept them. A thought or a feeling comes up and we don't ask ourselves why I'm feeling this. What do we ask ourselves? Or what do we tell ourselves? I shouldn't be feeling this. This is bad to feel. And so what do we do? We try to push it down. And Oh, what's that called? What's it called? when you think or feel something and you push it down under the water so it's concealed. What's that called? Hypocrisy. And again, I'm not saying, so if you've got hypocritical thoughts, be afraid. Not what I'm saying, okay? Because I do the same thing. But if we're going to deal with what we need to deal with, authenticity is job one. Let's not being honest with him. He already understands it. 
challenging to be self-aware, and in order to be more honest with God, we have to be aware of the things that we feel. So you know what you might start to do? Observe yourself rather than judge yourself. Observe yourself. Don't determine if you should or shouldn't feel it. Just touch it first. Hold it. And you know what you're going to find sometimes? That you're holding different things. You know, God, I both like this and don't like this. And But you don't have to fix that. Just observe it. Just observe it. Um, that is a reason. I'm going to say a couple of things briefly. Any kind of counseling we do as a ministry, hope pastoral counseling, because we understand that sometimes people need to be encouraged to look at what's really there. That's what happens in the office. That's what I do. Not just myself. JC, I'm sure, would say the same thing. Any other therapist out here, it's about somebody will sit with you and will allow you to explore what's really inside. It's hard for us to do that alone sometimes. We're so busy and we're so instinctively we do this. That's why find a counselor if it's possible. If if you're dealing with thoughts and feelings, and that's part of the ministry we do as a church, and I could tell you more about that. Or, Krista, but make sure it's not a counselor who's going to say, well, if you've got a bad thought or feeling, maybe you should question whether you're saved. Yeah, if you get somebody that pulls that on you, get out. Don't finish the session. Really, don't finish the session. toxic. Confidence. What's the evidence of faith in Christ? In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom as confidence. What is the evidence of faith in Christ? Again, that's a good question, isn't it? Understand what is the evidence of faith in Christ? So if I asked you, do you have faith in Christ? The evidence would be that which you would look at to determine, yeah, Mike, I do. I read the Bible. Again, that's that's important. Is that the evidence of faith in Christ? Is that where you really want to target? I pray. That's great. Really, these things are real. I'm really not blowing these up. Look what it says. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom is about expression. It's about speaking freely. Isn't that interesting? In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom, speaking freely. One of the evidences that your faith in Christ is deepening is if your verbal, if your conversation with God is more open, speaking freely, honest. You're getting to know Jesus if your conversation with God is more honest. That's what the text indicates. That's what freedom means. The ability to speak freely with someone. That's what it means. Parisia. And not just freedom, it talks about confidence. Confidence is about inclusion. It's about the conviction that I can be here. It's a persuasion that I'm welcomed. So, the evidence of faith in Christ is this. If you're able to come, and again, this grows slowly. Go slowly. If you're not here, I get it. But the ability, as we have faith in Christ, to enter his presence, not like this, you know, not waiting, you know, not with your lightning rod up, waiting to get fried. Coffee, you know, God, I, I can belong here. You want me here. Walking into his presence. 
talking to him. You don't have to talk out loud, but just enter. Think about entering his presence. And what confidence is about is, God, I I feel like a screw-up, but you really want me here. And that's what you'd have me to believe. By the way, that is true. He really does want you to approach him. And I'm talking to everyone. I really am. You say, Mike, you don't know what I think. It doesn't matter. He knows what you think, and he's still calling you into his presence. And you know what he wants? And you know what he says to you? I want you to speak freely with me. I already know what you think, what your attitudes, and what your actions are. Let's deal with first things first. You're here. I want you to know that I want you here, and I want you to speak to me honestly. Learning that, that's the evidence of confidence, the ability to be still before God and speak freely with God. What God wants to become for us, a safe haven and a secure base. This is, again, a safe haven and a secure base. You know what a safe haven is good to? A safe haven is good for when you get to the place where you are um, safe. Remember, we used to play not hide-and-seek. What's the one that you, you got home, you have to get back? We called it ghouls. I don't I, Is that the word you used to call it? No, you're saying, Mike, you know, that's too, too long ago, Mike. You know, yeah, maybe in your time, maybe they called it ghouls. But they don't call it that anymore, Mike. Not in the 20th and 21st century. Anyway, so it's a place that you can go to safe, safe haven. A safe haven, that's what God wants to be. Not the place that you run away from, the place you run towards. That's what I wanted in college. I want you to be safe. And over time, by making room for his commitments, he feels safer to me. I can, I feel like I can be more honest with him. I really like to write and open up. Some people like to talk. I like to write. That's why I journal. I think clearly through a pen, and my, my thoughts go all over the place. But when I write, I can think through that. Again, some of you like to write. Some of you more speaking. Some of you like music. Whatever you do to make room in your mind for thoughts about God, um, be still before God and speak freely with God. What ends up happening, this is how it works. When you start to feel safe with God, I want you to pay attention. Not that you weren't. But it's one of those things that feels really important to me. If it's when you're safe with God and you're safe with him, you know what you can do? You can start to explore some of those things in you that are kind of scary. You know those thoughts that you have, the ones you wish you didn't have? Those ones. And little by little, when you, when God's safe, you can go to him and experience safety. And you begin to start to look inside of yourself at these things, and, and he's there, and you, and you can look a little bit deeper, and then you can go back to him. That's what ends up happening, and you can look at some of those things, and you say, God, you know what? There's something down there that I really don't want to look at. There's a thought or a feeling, and I've been told all my life that it's a bad thought and a bad feeling, and you want nothing to do with it. And what God says to you, that was a lie. I want you to come to me and speak freely with me. And I am going to hold your hand because I am a safe haven. And what I want is for you to learn 
to look at the things inside of yourself and know that you, you can come back to me and talk to me about them. Those things are less frightening if they're shared. The thing that makes them so scary is that we have them so pushed down that we spend so much energy in concealing them. And God says, why don't you pick that up out of the water? Where? What God says with me or with somebody that represents him safely. Does that make sense? God would be a safe haven and a secure base as your faith in Christ increases. That's what he becomes, authenticity, which is see what's real and say what's real, confidence. Be still before God and speak freely with him. Um, Gene's childhood home, JC will understand this. He talks about going to a um, adult children of alcoholics meeting, I think, early in. Anyways, in Gene's, they talk in the book about Gene's childhood home. Any aggression on his part was met by violent rage from his alcoholic father. And he learned to sidestep issues, keep the peace, and walk on eggshells because he just didn't have the freedom to be able to say things out loud. His aggression was severely judged and wounded. And he ended up getting to the place when he wanted to tell the truth, he would actually get nauseous. It, he would remember what happened, and he created a reaction that he felt nauseous. Um, his father had condemned Gene's aggression, and even when his father wasn't in the picture, the nausea took over and had the same kind of impact that his father had had. Gene needed a safe place to practice taking risks, so he went to a group where he was encouraged to do that, um, the first time he told the group member, I don't like it when you interrupt me. He wasn't being mean, but he was being direct. Um, he had to leave the room because he felt like he was going to throw up. <laughs> and then he came back in, and the waves of nausea passed. And the woman said, thanks for being honest with me. Hmm. And slowly, slowly, that group became a safe haven and a secure base from which he could look at things that he always had to stuff. We get that interpersonally. That's what God wants to create with you, that type of thing. Transformation. Here's a question. What does it mean to be Christ-like? I think that's something we should probably be pretty clear about, don't you think? Being conformed to the image of Christ, isn't that what this is supposed to be all about? What does it mean to be Christ-like? Walk on water? Never sin? Is that what it means? Um, here's what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You know what it means to be Christ-like? In Jesus' own words, it means to be gentle. When Jesus reaches into his heart, what he pulls out is gentleness. You know, you know what gentleness is? It's the opposite of harsh insistence. The opposite of gentleness is forcefulness. That's not what Jesus was like. In fact, that's why they blew him up. Because he wouldn't force things. You can't force love. That's what he wants. So what he did, he was gentle. Except if someone was portraying God as being judgmental, then he was very direct. 
the way a shepherd would be direct with a wolf when they were prowling around wanting to consume the sheep. Would you agree with me in that context? To be gentle would mean, oh, okay, sheep, you know, we're going to make our, uh, we're going to open our door to Wiley Coyote. He's just here to consume a few of you. So just, just sit back. Let's see who he picks. Uh, nice to have you here. Is that a gentle shepherd? Absolutely not. A gentle shepherd is, you know what, I want you all to be safe. And therefore, what Jesus said, he confronted those who pushed this kind of standard. He said, and he didn't just say, no, no, no. He said, stop. And with individuals who were sitting, and they didn't do all the spiritual disciplines. They weren't at that place yet. And these people that did, these individuals, you'd think he would pick on the people like you and me, moral boogerheads. You know what I mean? But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. What he did, he confronted the people that claimed to walk on water spiritually. He said, and I'm not pointing anyone in, in, in here. No, let me tell, point at this guy right here. Oh, 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 oh. This guy is pointing his finger at you and saying, I am so much better than you. And Jesus said, I've got an issue with you. I don't have an issue with them. You're the one I have an issue with. You do not speak for the Father. Ooh. They didn't like that very much. Jesus cared enough about sheep to confront wolves that put them in danger. Um, so transformation means becoming more gentle and becoming less judgmental. Um, Jesus said, never will I leave you. says the word, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Never will I leave, leave you. It means to, um, in fact, there's a verse that says, they untied the ropes that held the boat. It's in Acts 27. The reason why I say that, it's the same word. So it's to untie, never will I leave you. So here's what it is. When you tie yourself up to God, he's never going to go, ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> You just didn't say it well enough or do it right enough. Untied, you're going to go with. He never unties you. And he never leaves you behind. Um, it says Demas deserted Paul. He left Paul behind. And that's the word, I will never leave you or forsake you, desert you. So here's what God says to you. I will never cast you adrift, and I will never leave you behind. And what that does, well, what does that do? Would you agree? That's gentle. It's gentle. And when we understand that, um, then it helps us to be gentle with ourselves and gentle with others. In the book, it talks about a husband who was very critical towards his wife. Um, he was concerned about spiritual things, and he constantly belittled her about her lack of spiritual progress, constantly at her, and she wilted underneath the barrage. just And then the, the therapist said, maybe it would help your wife listen to your statement if you would tell us what your own spiritual weaknesses are, if you got the log out of your own eye first. And then his face went blank. And he really meant it. Actually, um pretty much on top of it. I do Bible study and prayer, giving and fasting, evangelism. My walk with the Lord is going well. 
I'm meeting my spiritual goals. Therapy said, then you're worse off than she is. If your biggest spiritual problem is her spiritual problem, your spiritual problem is pride. Jesus couldn't crack a Pharisee. Why is, it more, why is it important to keep the end in mind? When disciplines are ends in themselves, they can become the basis of judgment. What's supposed to draw us to God can drive us from Him. Finally, strength. To know His love and show His love. It says, I pray, Ephesians 3, out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power. Once you listen to this, what does power help us to do? What does strength help us to do? Listen. I pray that out of His Glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, so to strengthen you so that, and here's the purpose, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does divine strength enable you to understand? Divine love. That's, it takes, it doesn't take Power to be afraid of God. It takes power to know His love. Do you want God's power? God's power is going to help you get to know the breadth and length and height and depth and to know that love which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. That God would give us the strength to know His love and to show His love. Um, it says we love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Uh, when our understanding of God's love, again, all of us struggle, is high, judgment will be low. When our understanding of God's love is low, judgment will be high, both to ourselves, hypocrisy, which is basically based in not knowing his love well enough. Now, again, we deal with it. The more you understand God's love, the less you need to be a hypocrite. The more you understand God's love, the less judgmental you will be of others, not just of yourself. Judgment and love, so if, if we, when we're very contemptuous of ourselves and others, we are not tapped into his love to the degree that he would have us be. Um, so he's saying, okay, and I'm going to call the worship team up here, and we're going to close with a song. i got an equation for you. A-C-T-S. Do you know what those stand for? Those are the end game. They're the things that he wants us to move towards. Here's how this works. A plus C equals T plus S. Saying, what do I have to do to be transformed? Authenticity and confidence. Focus there. See what's real. Say what's real. 
Be still before God. Speak freely with God. A plus C. Learn to be honest. Will equal T. You become less judgmental, more gentle, plus S. You'll know his love and show his love. Make sense? A plus C equals T plus S. Authenticity and confidence lead to being transformed and strong. I pray for us. God, thankful that you don't just tell us what, you tell us how. What you would have us be transformed, be less gentle, less judgmental, more gentle and strong. Know your love and show your love. That's the what. You also tell us the how by being authentic, to see what's real and say what's real, to learn to trust you enough to do that and confident, to enter your presence and speak freely with you there. I'd ask that you would help us to continue to move towards becoming more like you, Jesus. In our name, amen.